right, everybody. Welcome back to the Long Lens Podcast. This is the podcast where I answer questions from my filmmaking community, and I just talk about filmmaking and YouTube. And today, we are going to be doing another Q&A episode. So if this is your first time tuning in, I do a Q&A episode every single month where I ask my community of filmmakers for questions, and then I try to answer them to the best of my ability. Like always, we are going to be having our Patreon questions read first. Now, this is one of the perks of being a Patreon is not only do you get access to a bunch of videos that I post there and and just more bonus content in general, but you also get your questions read on my podcast first, as well as your name is a little shout out. So you're going to be doing the Patreon questions first. And luckily this month, we have a lot of questions from Patreon, which I am stoked on. So the first question is from Jeff over at Sun Valley Drive Music. If you could only have one reasonably priced key light and softbox for filming inside, which one would you choose? So I have been kind of changing around my key light setups a lot, but right now I still think that I would probably choose the Godox ML60 and the 46 inch Fotec soft lighter. Now the reason for that is because the ML60 is much smaller, but it has the same output as something like the SL60, which I have as well. But I like the ML60 and it's just a lot easier to rig up. You don't need a huge C stand. You can use a very inexpensive and lightweight light stand for it. And the Fotec soft lighter is also something that doesn't add a lot of weight to your like light setup, but you can still get a really nice soft light. I use the soft lighter on almost every single video that I do, and I'm always pleased with the results. So I like, I personally think that the soft lighter is more versatile and more soft than most soft boxes. So that's what I would choose. Godox ML60 and the Fotec 46 inch soft lighter. Now there is a 36 inch and I believe a 52 inch version as well, but I feel like 46 inch is right in that sweet spot where it still gives a really nice soft light, but it's not super, super big. And again, the ML60 can be powered off of two Sony MPF batteries or off of wall power. Whereas something like the SL60 has the same light output, but it can only be powered by wall power. So that's why I like the ML series a little bit more. So this next question is from Ivan Martinik and Ivan asked, hello, my number one YouTuber. I'd like to ask how the collaboration with Lumix came about. Will you be able to keep the S5 Mark IIX? Well, I think it just came about from them seeing that I use Lumix cameras and I did a campaign for the original S5 back in 2020. And so when the S5 IIX came out, they reached out to me again and wanted to collaborate with me. And as far as whether or not I'll be able to keep the S5 IIX, I will, which is pretty cool. So I get to keep the camera. Um, I'm only borrowing the lenses, so I'll have to invest in my own lens setup. And I actually did buy a Sigma 28-70 to just so I had one lens to myself because I will have to give back all the lenses that they lent out to me. So yeah, I get to keep the camera. I got to buy my own lenses, which isn't that big of a deal. I'm super stoked that I get to keep the camera. But with all that being said, not getting rid of my GH3. So I still really like my GH3 and I still think that it, for the price, produces a really nice image. All right, these next two questions are from Dylan McMurdy. And the first question Dylan asks is, what are some of your must-have apps on your phone for photography and videography? Not editing apps, but stuff like exposure calculators, golden hour timers, star maps, etc. Honestly, the only dedicated app that I use for my filmmaking process when it comes to 
figuring out where the sun is going to be is actually a free app called Lumos. It's kind of like Sunseeker, but it's free. So Lumos is what I use to figure out where the sun is going to be at any specific time of day. And then I just use the weather app on my iPhone to figure out if I can actually film that day. So if it's going to be rainy or not. But yeah, as far as other photography apps, I do use obviously the DJI app for my Ronin SC. And the other filmmaking app that I use on my phone quite often nowadays is the Godox Light app, which is the app that I can control all of my Godox lights with. So, and the second question is, what are some good exercises to help generate creativity? I'm taking pictures of anything that's halfway interesting, but I wanna start working on more creative compositions. Well, I think that a really good way to kind of generate a little bit of creativity is not necessarily watching a bunch of YouTube videos, but going to sites like Film Grab and just kind of looking at what other cinematographers have done and then trying to recreate those because you might find it really, really difficult to even recreate a very simple looking scene. I feel like a lot of the best cinematographers, they create scenes that don't look super lit. They look very natural and trying to get that like natural look is actually a lot harder than you would think. So that's something that I've been doing. And I even like I made an entire video of it. It's called how to practice filmmaking by yourself. And that's where you can just, you know, look at screen grabs from other cinematographers and try to recreate them, whether it be recreate their composition or their lighting or their color grade. Those are just some exercises that I do every now and then to kind of help spark some creativity in my own work. All right, so these next two questions are from seven note mode. And the first question is, Micro Four Thirds seems vulnerable to discontinuation. I hope you continue to support the format. Will you do any Micro Four Thirds videos going forward? So yes, I will definitely keep creating Micro Four Thirds content. I still have a GH3, so I'm still gonna be shooting Micro Four Thirds stuff on a pretty regular basis. I have a new lens that just came in for a Micro Four Thirds mount that I'm gonna be shooting all in my GH3 that I really, really like. So I don't think that I'll ever get rid of my GH3 or just forego the Micro Four Thirds system. I mean, heck, if Panasonic wanted to lend me the new G9 Mark II, I would totally do a video on that. While I do think that the S52X is probably the best camera within the $2,000 to $2,500 price range. I definitely don't think that cameras like the GH5 are obsolete now just because there's full frame cameras that can do the same type of quality. So I still think that if I was starting from scratch and I only had like, you know, 1500 bucks or something like that, I wouldn't be going with like an FX30 or, you know, like an A6700 or something like that. I would be getting a GH5. You know what I mean? So I still think that Micro Four Thirds definitely has a place in the filmmaking world. And the second question from Seven Note Mode is, I record practice sessions that run pretty long. I would like to save as much hard drive space as possible, but maintain a presentable image. Have you used the 24P AVHD format on the GH3? It is the same 24 megabit per second spec as the C100, which has a rep for really good image quality. How does the GH3 hold up in comparison? Any tweaks to improve the image in this format? Thanks. So I've honestly never messed with the AVCHD codec on the GH3, mostly because it's such a hassle to transcode that codec into something that I can even play back on a Mac. AVCHD is, you have to have like that VLC media player, which I don't really mess with. I would say instead of shooting AVCHD, you could shoot the 50 megabit per second MOV codec. That could save you a little bit of hard drive space. 
I know that the C100 shoots in AVCHD, but Canon does something with their codecs that just preserves a lot more quality than I think you would see on a GH3. Also, the C100 has a lot better low light performance than the GH3 does. So, so I think that's something to be said is that like when you do start seeing noise, it'll be much more visible on a GH3 image than it would on a C100. So I would almost say it would be a better idea as far as like having a presentable image just to shoot the 50 megabit per second in .mov and just buy some cheaper external hard drives. Like I have a bunch of like two terabyte hard drives that I get for like 40 bucks each. So you could do that and just still have a really nice looking image with that 50 megabit per second codec, but not have to sacrifice so much hard drive space shooting in the 72 megabit per second codec. So that would be what I would do in your situation. Hope that helps. Okay, and these next two questions are from Andy Mulcaster. And Andy asks, I know you have the new shiny S5 Mark II X, but thoughts on the G9 Mark II? Will it be the micro four thirds camera to rule them all? I definitely like the G9 Mark II. I never actually had the original G9 before, but I know that the original G9 was really the only Panasonic camera that had decent contrast detection autofocus. So it made sense that they put their better autofocus in the G9 Mark II. And I've seen a lot of videos of it and it can do, I think, ProRes internally and all these different things that like a GH6 can do. So it's essentially a GH6 with great face detection autofocus. And the thing is, the only thing that I don't like about the G9 Mark II is just how big it is. And that's the same problem that I have with like the GH6 is that they're in the same territory as like an S5 Mark II as far as body goes. Now, again, you can get a G9 Mark II and a DJI or you know a Panasonic Leica 15 millimeter and have a super small setup that you can do a lot of stuff with. So I kind of wish that the G9 Mark II would have you know been a little bit smaller. Or I kind of wish. I guess what I actually wish is that they would put face attack autofocus into a camera like the G85. I feel like the G85 was the perfect size camera for me. And even though it had a lot of drawbacks, I feel like the body style of that camera was the best. And so I wish they would put like the phase attack autofocus into something like a G85 because then I would buy it. The G9 Mark II just seems still too big. Like I can get prime lens from Panasonic for my S5 Mark II X and it would be around the same size. So the whole thing with Micro Four Thirds to me is size. So if I'm gonna get another Micro Four Thirds camera, it needs to make sense size-wise, because if it's just gonna be as big as my S5 Mark II X, it doesn't make sense for me to get it. All right, the next question that Andy has is, what have you found to be your most effective revenue streams as a creative? I'm just in the process of going freelance and would love to know what to avoid. I really appreciated the latest Long Lens podcast with Matthew Dengu. I was really struck by the conversation you both engaged with around getting out of a niche. What advice would you share from your own journey with this? I appreciate that many of us start looking for a niche when starting out to try to form an identity and hone our craft. I feel like the most effective streams of revenue for me right now have been sponsorships. But if you would have asked me like two years ago, the most effective stream of revenue would have been affiliate marketing, like Amazon affiliate program. So I think it changes for me as time goes on. So the more I grow in my filmmaking and YouTube career, the different streams of revenue become more important to me. So right now, like my AdSense from YouTube is probably like the lowest earning thing from my streams of revenue. And then the next highest like revenue stream would probably be my digital products that I sell on my website. 
And then the next highest from that would be my affiliate marketing. And then the next highest from that would be sponsorships. You know, there are some other like really small things like this podcast makes a couple dollars here and there. And my other YouTube channel called Outpost 33, that makes a couple dollars here and there. But really the main thing for me right now is sponsorships. Now that's probably not super helpful information if you're not a YouTuber and you're just trying to go freelance. A freelance revenue can come in in a bunch of different ways as well. When I was doing freelance stuff for the longest time, my biggest stream of revenue was weddings. So it just kind of depends on like what you're doing. But I would definitely say when you're a freelancer, it does kind of make sense to pick a specific niche of like what you're really good at. So if you really like doing weddings, then you can be the wedding person in your your area. But if you're more into commercials or doing social media stuff for companies, that can be your niche that you can find yourself in. In YouTube, I feel like if you're gonna pick a niche, you have to be able to make it different than the other people in that niche, right? So one way that I'm trying to you know differentiate myself from all of the other filmmaking channels out there is that I'm a skateboard filmer, you know, first and foremost, that's how I started. I, you know, I live in the Northwest and so I have access to very beautiful landscapes, which is another thing that, you know, like differentiates me. And I've been on YouTube for, you know, since 2006, which is a lot longer than a lot of the other people, even people like, you know, Peter McKinnon or Manny Hapoya. So there's things that, you know, I can find that can set myself apart from just everybody else. And I feel like, that's when you see people succeeding in YouTube is how they lean in to what differentiates them. So anyways, I hope that that answers that question. And the next question from Andy Mulcaster is, how's the new office? Well, I love it. I'm in it right now. It still needs to be soundproofed. It's pretty echoey in here. So I'm gonna have to do a lot of uh, AI engineering to this audio track just to make sure that it doesn't sound too reverby. But yeah, I love it. Um, I'm gonna try to not just, I'm gonna try to not just film stuff here in my office. Even though I love this office, I do wanna try to, you know, create talking head sequences that are not just in the exact same spot. Cause that's something that really has kind of like bogged me down. I feel like when I'm just editing a YouTube video and all my talking heads are in the exact same location. And the last question on Patreon from Andy Mulcaster is, would you still recommend the Olympus EM1 Mark II? The answer is yes, I totally would still recommend that camera. Sometimes I honestly do miss that camera. It still gave a really good looking image. I mean, if you look at some of my older videos that I shot with that, I still think that it looks really great. Even for an eight bit image, a lot of the stuff I was looking, I was like watching some of them on my big 55 inch TV the other day. And I was like, man, that looks really, really good. And it's just crazy that that camera is only like four or 500 bucks now. So yeah, the Olympus EM1 Mark II is still a great camera. I still think that, I mean, it's, smaller in size than even my GH3 and it shoots 4K and has great autofocus. So if you don't need 10 bit and you don't need good 1080p, then if you're just a 24p 4K kind of person, the EM1 Mark II is still a great camera for the price. Are you tired of having the same generic music that every other YouTuber has? Well, you've got to check out Musicbed. Unlike other music licensing sites, Musicbed has actual artists like Josh Garrels, Ben Rector, Chapters, and so much more. I've been an ambassador for Musicbed since 2019, and I can't recommend it enough. So use the link in the show notes to get started with a Musicbed subscription today.
So now we're gonna go into the YouTube community page as well as some Instagram questions. We only have three questions on the YouTube community page. So the first question is, I've been invested in the Micro Four Thirds system for over 10 years, starting as far back as the GH2. I've owned the GH5S for the last five years, finally considering selling it all to make the jump to the S52X and full frame L-mount lenses. Can you describe your experience with that camera after using it for some time? And if it's been worth making a full switch to a new system with it being a big leap from something like your GH3 you had for so long. I know that a lot of people, they kind of have this, this misconception that I've been using the GH3 exclusively for the past, you know, 10 or something years. And that's not true. I've used the GH3 a lot over the last 10 years, but I've actually, I mean, I've owned the original S5s. I've owned ADDs. I've owned A6000s. I've owned the, the original Blackmagic Pocket Cinema cameras. So there've been a lot of different cameras in my arsenal over the past 10 years. But if you wanted to say, is it a big leap from something like the EM1 Mark II maybe, which I've had you know pretty recently, the GH3 has just kind of been like an interim type camera for me. As far as like if the S5 Mark IIx is a big leap from the EM1 Mark II, I would say yes, as far as image quality goes. I would say that the autofocus is pretty much on par with the EM1 Mark II. When it comes to just, you know, face tracking and doing typical YouTube stuff, the S5 Mark II has a lot more options when it comes to human tracking and like eye tracking and all that type of stuff. So it's a lot more sophisticated and there's a lot more settings that you can do with the S5 Mark IIx whereas the EM1 Mark II is just pretty basic. It's kind of like one of the more earlier Sony cameras when it comes to autofocus. They were really good, but you couldn't really, you know, do human detection or animal detection or eye detection or choose which area you wanted it to, you know, focus on. So there are a lot more sophisticated autofocus settings on the S5 Mark IIx, but you also have to consider there's 6K open gate, there is 10-bit 422, there's ProRes and Blackmagic RAW externally, there's 4K ProRes externally to an SSD, there's 1080 ProRes internally, there's all of these different codecs. Yes, the S5 Mark IIx is definitely worth the upgrade from something like a EM1 Mark II. Are you gonna notice a huge image quality difference from your GH5S? It's probably not gonna be a insane gap of like image quality that you're gonna see. You know, it just kind of reminds me of that old uh, Casey Neistat video where he said like, you know, the more you spend, the less of a quality difference you're gonna be able to see. Like the difference between a S5 Mark IIx and something like an Arri Alexa, you might be able to see a difference, but it's gonna be very, very small differences. Whereas, you know, you take something like a GH2 and compare it to an S5 Mark IIx and that that gap is gonna be a lot bigger. So yeah, definitely worth the upgrade. But if you're happy with your Micro Four Thirds lenses, you don't necessarily have to switch unless you want that full frame sensor and you want that autofocus. Those are the big, like I think the big three things are like the codex, the autofocus and the full frame sensor. Okay, this next question is, if you like using older, cheaper cameras, why haven't you used something like the original Blackmagic Pocket Cinema camera, which has very good specs at a low price? Well, this has probably been asked by someone who hasn't been watching my channel for a while. I did own the original Blackmagic Pocket Cinema camera. I owned that back in, I wanna say 2014, 2015 maybe. And I liked it, it gave a really nice looking image. It's just, you had to rig it out a lot in order to get it 
to be usable. So I actually have an entire video about how I rigged it out with a Metabone speed booster that was for that camera and like a Sony MPF battery plate and all this different kind of stuff. And it's a, it's a great looking image. It's just, it ends up being way bigger than something that could actually fit in your pocket. So I just kind of sold it shortly after I bought it. You know, I probably had it for like half a year and then I ended up selling it for something like the ADD because I just wanted something that was a lot easier to shoot with. All right, and the last question on the YouTube community page is, what about the color science of Lumix cameras? Personally, I don't like the oversaturated red from Panny. What LUT are you using that you're getting oversaturated reds? This is a this is an argument that I see a lot that like, you know, people say like this color science is better, this color science is better. You know, there are going to be some, you know, maybe like some skin tone differences and stuff like that on on different cameras, but when it comes to like a, you know, 10-bit 422 vlog image, you can basically make that look however you want it to look. That's a lot of the same with like the newer Sony cameras too. Even some of the older Sony cameras, they used to have like kind of bad skin tones even in 10-bit, but I feel like if you're a good enough colorist, you can adjust the colors and fix skin tone issues. You know, me personally, I use Cinematch, which if you want to try Cinematch yourself, you can get it at a discount using my link in the show notes below. But I change my vlog footage into S-Log3, and then I use Phantom LUTs a lot of the times to change my footage that's been converted to S-Log3 into airy color science with the Phantom LUTs. So that's what I do, and the skin tones and the colors look really, really good. So that's an option if you're getting bad or like oversaturated reds from the Panasonic if you know especially if you're using those those LUTs from Panasonic I know that some of them some of them do give kind of weird skin tones but for the most part I do like most of those Panasonic LUTs that they provide you on the website I think the nicest 709 LUT and the vintage LUT are my two favorites so those were all the questions from the YouTube community page and now we're going to go on to some Instagram questions that I got so have you been wanting to get that film look without spending hours in the color grading tab? Film Convert Nitrate is the easiest way to add film stocks and grain to your digital footage. With support for almost every camera on the market today, and with most non-linear editing programs, Film Convert Nitrate makes it easy to color grade your videos like a pro. I've been an ambassador for Film Convert for a while now, and I use Film Convert Nitrate on almost every single video that I make. So check out the link in the show notes for 10% off your purchase of Film Convert Nitrate or Sydney Match. All right, first question on Instagram is, do you like super spicy food? I don't like stuff like ghost peppers or anything like that, but I do like spicy food. It actually... I really like it. In fact, I really like spicy mangoes right now. Those are like my favorite things to eat. This next question is, do you personally like the film look or are you more digital focused for looks as far as video goes? I think that the film look can kind of be misconstrued as film grain and halation and the highlights and stuff like that. I think that the film look is just a look that you've seen in film right so if you watched the zodiac which was filmed on digital cameras i think the, the digital viper i believe i mean that's a film and it has a look and you could call that the film look but it was shot on a digital camera so it just kind of depends on what film you're trying to emulate i don't typically think that the film look means that you have to have grain and you have to have a bunch of halation in your highlights but if you're trying to emulate or you know take notes from a movie that does have grain and does have a lot of halation in the highlights then go for it i tend to look at a lot of roger deacon's newer films that he shot on like the airy alexa mini lf and stuff like that 
those aren't super grainy or have crazy character lenses. They're just really good, clean looking films. And those are what, you know, a lot of people try to emulate. So that's my thoughts on the film look. I just try to make stuff that looks like it could be a film. All right, thoughts on the SLR Micro Primes. I've honestly never tried them, but I have a Seven Artisans um, Micro Four Thirds Prime Lens that's a T1.05 that I'm testing out and reviewing. So I'm stoked to try that out. The next question is thoughts on any aspect ratio different than 16 by 9, 4 by 3 to 35 to 1, etc. for videos. Yeah, so I, I crop sometimes to 4x3 just as like a little retro vibe, hearkening back to my skate filming days when we were filming on camcorders that shot in 4x3. The 235 to 1 aspect ratio, I don't really crop to or try to shoot in that often unless I'm using anamorphic lenses just because I feel like it just cuts away too much of the video. But I do like different aspect ratios. The aspect ratio that I actually upload in on YouTube a lot is the two to one aspect ratio. And that just is a little bit better for viewing on phones. And it honestly gives me a little bit of cropping ability on the vertical axis. All right, next question is thoughts on vintage glass, Canon FDs, Zeiss, Leica, etc. Yeah, so I like vintage lenses. I had a set of Canon FDs for a while. Never tried Zeiss or Leica just because they're too expensive. And if I'm going to spend a lot of money, I'd rather just buy a, a more modern lens. But yeah, I might end up buying some vintage lenses again now that I have the S52X just because there's no crop factors or math that you have to do. A 24 millimeter vintage lens is going to be 24 millimeters on the S52X. So, all right, next question is when are we going to see a Nigel Barrow skate part? Uh, probably never. I don't really consider myself good enough to actually put out a skate part, but if you want to see some of my skateboarding abilities, you can go on my Instagram. And one of the videos that I have pinned was my 32nd birthday where I filmed 32 tricks at a skate park. So I'm going to be doing that again here pretty soon because I'm turning 33. So I'll be trying to film 33 tricks at a skate park and then I'll post that on my Instagram as well. All right, so next question is any interest in the new G9? I'm assuming they mean the new G9 Mark II. And yes, as I said before, I do have interest in it. If Lumix wants to send that to me to test out, I would love to do that. All right, next question is, do you have a Helios 44-2 or any of those Helios 44 lenses? No, I don't. And I've honestly never tried those, mostly because when they were getting popular, it seemed like every single person was making a video on those. And I just didn't really feel like I wanted to buy it just to make a video on it. So they look cool. You know, it's cool that they were used in the new Batman movie, but I'm not really interested in buying one right now because it's just not the type of look that I go for. And especially because I've been using Micro Four Thirds cameras for the longest time, that 58 you know, millimeter focal length just right on a Micro Four Thirds camera without a speed booster, that's gonna be 116 millimeters. So it's kind of a little bit too tight for most of my shooting. All right, this next question is from my wife actually. How do you style your hair? That is a secret I'm gonna take to my grave. And the last question for this podcast is, when are you visiting India? Well, if you have a place for me to stay and I can figure out time and money to go to India, I would love to visit India someday. It seems like a really cool country. But anyways, those are all the questions that we have this month. Big shout out to everyone who sent in a question. And again, if you'd like to join me on Patreon, get a bunch of perks, get my $5 Let's for free, I'll have that linked in the show notes below. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you all next time. Later. Later.